American church. It's a crisis. It it, uh, has caused believers who say they are a part of the church uh, to turn against one another. Um, this, those who say they're for Jesus, uh, they actually are living as if they're not for one another. Uh, this crisis has caused the church to become complacent. Uh, the crisis has prevented the church from uh, being obedient to what God has clearly called everyone who is a part of this church to do. And this crisis has caused us and caused the church to become selfish and even narcissistic. Instead of discipling one another, building one another up, uh, and loving one another the way God through Christ has loved us, we're at odds with one another. And this crisis has created an exodus of people leaving the church. And maybe you know someone, or someone close to you has left the church. It's not necessarily that they've left their faith, uh, because it's not like they have lost faith in Jesus. They've lost faith in the church. And this crisis, unfortunately, has kept parents from doing what we should be doing as parents to raise up the next generation and building up the faith of the next generation. And this crisis has really kept us from building up our very own faith. And what is the crisis? Well, I believe the American church or the Western church, if you will, maybe our church, has experienced an identity crisis. We've forgotten who we are. And knowing who we are as a church is so important. Knowing who you are as the church and who we collectively are as a church is so important. Because when we forget who we are, we cannot be united on what we are to do. When we forget who we are, we cannot be united. When we, 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 when we forget who we are, we cannot be united on what we can do. Now, this doesn't mean that we come and we have disagreements. Yeah, absolutely we have disagreements. We can disagree and still be united on mission and vision and on purpose and who we are. But when we forget who we are, we'll never be united in what God has called us to do. And maybe this is why you left a, a church or you're considering leaving a church. You disagreed with something that was said. You disagreed with something that was done. Maybe you disagreed with something that was taught. And reality, the reality is the disagreement isn't the problem. We're human. I mean, this is the nature of our humanity. The church is made up of a diversity, this diversity of humanity that we all come together and we sit amongst one another. It's a crockpot of differences. It's a crockpot of disagreements. But in our disagreements, what has happened is we've had an identity crisis. And when we forget who we are, we cannot be united on what we are to do. Now, before you disagree with me, write me off, tune me out, or turn me off, however you may want to respond, I I want you to think about this for a second, because you're very smart people. You're you're highly educated, you're very smart, you're intelligent, and you've got a lot of wisdom. For some of you, this is how you parent. I mean, you think about it. Maybe uh, for the kids that you have in your home, or the kids you had in your home, when you discipline your kids, you want to see a shared behavior in your house, because as your house, this is how you behave, Right? There's a shared behavior. Like in our home, we'll say, hey, we're Robinsons, and Robinsons don't do that. Uh, do you remember the, the movie um, Miracle about the 1980 hockey team? World, world champions. I mean, they won the gold medal. I love this movie. In fact, uh, Cassie and I watched this with our kids uh, maybe a couple months ago now. <laughs> I tell you, just side note, it is a sweet season of life that we can now watch non-cartoon movies with our kids. <laughs> Cha-ching. 
in that movie, a player turned coach, Herb Brooks, uh, doesn't go after the best college hockey athletes to make a world-class team. He goes over the right college hockey athletes to create the best team in the world. And as he's training them, he, there's this thread that you see throughout all their training. He would, he would say, hey, we need to get to know each other because he's taking a bunch of players from these diversity of uh, teams and strategies and all these different uh, things. And he's bringing them together on one team. And, he, and he's, he has this little exercise he does throughout the whole training. He says, hey, I want you to tell us who you are, what's your name, um, where you're from, and who do you play for? And so they'd name their name. They would name what university or what city they're from and what university they would play for. He would do this. And, and, and after the team would tie in their first, divi- in their first round of the, the Olympics, still in it, they still weren't playing together as a team. So he gets them back on the conditioning line right after the game. They're in their jerseys and everything. They don't go back to the locker room. They stay on the ice. And they do the equivalent of what I would call suicides in, in, in my training in the past. You just go down and back, down and back. These lines. And you say, again, again. And they exhaust themselves. They're at the breaking point. Some have collapsed. Some are bent over. And there's this moment this, after the horrible conditioning. And, and in this moment, he, he, he's going again. And even the assistant coaches and the others are, are, that are his staff are looking at him going, No, he can't, we can't do this. And he goes again. Until this moment when, I think it's Mike Urizoni bends over. He's just collapsed and he's just tired and on his hands and hands are on his knees and he looks up and he says, it's his name and where he's from. It's this turning point. Coach Brooks looks at him and says, who do you play for? He goes, the United States of America. And it was the turning point of the whole movie. As we see it in this one play, their identity changed. And that changed everything. See, when our identity changes, it changes everything. And when we forget who we are, we won't be united on what we are to do. And the worst enemy of the church... The worst enemy of the church is the division within the church. And could it be that there are many people in worship services all over the world, specifically in America, in our area, close to home, where people are gathering to worship God, but we have forgotten who we are. See, we cannot know what we are to do if we do not know who we are. We cannot know what we are to do Because our behaviors, our shared behaviors emerge from our identity. Our shared activity emerges from our identity. Who leads to do? And for the church, this is of utmost importance that we remember who we are. In his book, A Fellowship of Difference, theologian Scott McKnight writes this. He says, getting the church right is so important. The church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. When this happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed by God to be. The church is God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants us to live as a family. Now, I agree with everything he said, but one thing. 
I don't believe we're God's social experiment. This is not an experiment. We, the church, are God's plan A. We are not plan B. We are God's world-changing agents who are made up of a diversity of differences that we come together and we are God's new humanity created in Christ Jesus to show the world the good news, what God's good news is for them. And the good news and what the good news of what his kingdom is all about. And we must get church right. You and I together must get church right by first knowing who we are. Because if we forget who we are, we cannot show the world who Jesus is. If we forget who we are, we'll be divided and not united. We will, if we, so what we must do, we must remember who we are. And we must remind ourselves of the mission that God has called us and focus in on the vision to, which he, to what he's called us to do. And I'd see the strategy, strategy by which we need to do it. And more on that in a moment. My name is Casey, and it is so good to be back together with all of you. And for those of you that are new with us in the room and those of you that are new with us online, we're so grateful to share this time together with you. If you're new with us in the room, uh, we have a gift for you. Um, after today's service, if you'll make your way across our lobby and go right into the Welcome Center, which is the door right across our lobby, uh, there will be a host there. And they, that host would love to give you a gift for being with us today. And then while you're there, uh, we would love to just take four minutes with you to share four things about who we are as a church family. And for those of you that are new online, they're posting a link to a connect card. If you'll click that link, fill out the form, we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today. Now, Westside, would you let everyone that's watching online and those who are new with us in the room know how grateful we are to share this moment with them? Will you join me in that? Yeah. So today we begin a new series. We're calling it, We Are God's Family. This is who we are. This is our identity. We are God's family. And what we, who we are will determine what we do. We're going to be on mission together. And this is why our identity is so important. This is a series. We want to help you know that everything we do emerges from who we are. And there's so, the reason this is so important, the reason the identity of the church is so important, the reason your identity is so important is because there are so many lies being propagated by the enemy through culture about your identity. And so many lies being not just propagated about your identity, so many lies are being propagated in the culture about the church's identity. And the enemy wants to deceive you, and the enemy wants to deceive the world from knowing our identity. The world, want, the, the enemy wants you to not know your identity, and the world, and the enemy wants the world to have the wrong idea of what the church is supposed to be. And the enemy wants to deceive you from knowing your identity, and the enemy wants to deceive the church from knowing her identity and the truth of her identity. And if the enemy can deceive us from knowing our identity uh, and, and knowing the truth about our identity, the enemy can keep us and distract us from being obedient to what God has called us to do. And by not for remembering or, or by not knowing or by forgetting or uh, ignoring our identity, what happens is the church then becomes ignorant, impotent, and complacent. And maybe that's what's happened to the church today. And this is why our identity is so important. So let me share it with you this way. And this is how we're going to turn, re rewrite the script. And we're not going to allow that to happen. And we're going to advance the kingdom of God. And so let me explain it this way. Identity defines mission. Mission drives vision. Vision directs behavior. And behavior creates 
culture. I want to walk this through with you real quick. So identity defines mission. Uh, Who we are defines the common purpose of what we share and what we are called to do. We have to remember that we are a part of a collective church. And this is important to remember that we are not just individuals playing an individual role. That we are individuals within a larger collective body called the body of Christ. The church is not made up of a bunch of lone rangers. The church is made up of, of, of a family, of a team, of a people, of, of, of many different diversities and people. And that we are all connected together and we share a common mission. We share a common purpose together. And that common purpose is our mission. It's our collective mission. Because in, in, in our identity, our identity defines this mission that we share. And mission drives the vision. Mission drives the vision. See, the common purpose that we all have together will create a picture of what could be. And we will share together a conviction that it should be. I love that definition. It's not my own of what a vision is. It's a picture of what could be and a conviction that it should be. A picture of what could be. For the future. And this conviction that we all share together. That this is what's possible. And it should happen. And that identity identity defines mission. Mission drives vision. And vision directs then our behaviors. When one or more of us together have this clear picture of what could be. And this conviction that it should be. It will change the way that we individually live and collectively live. It will be integrated. We'll have integrity with how we live together and how we live apart from being together. It'll all be the same because the vision drives our behavior. I are, and, and in this, not only does the vision direct what we do, but behavior determines and creates our culture. Behavior creates our culture. See, the culture of any family, the culture of any office or any organization, if you will, or of any church... Is even the so even including the church is shaped is created by the shared behaviors within that community. Think about this. When you left your last company, or when you were upset with your last company, let's just keep it in the company. It's easy. When you left your last company, it may not have been likely for pay. Maybe it was, but very, if you look at studies, it's not as much for pay. It's because of the culture. It was because of the culture. And, and the culture uh, is so important. And many people are sickened by the culture in the American church. And it's because I believe we as the American church collectively, and I'm not talking about Westside. I think Westside, we've got this, man. And I'm going to show you why here in a second. It's because the American church has forgotten who we are. And I just want to keep us from forgetting who we are. And if we can be a voice to the world and a model to the world to live from who we are. See, when we remember our identity, we will be united together on our clearly defined mission. And our mission will drive a shared and inspired vision that will direct us in what we are to do. And when we all do this together, the culture we experience and create will be an inspiring and life-giving culture that Jesus empowers through His Holy Spirit. And we will, def- we will be on His mission in the world around us. And now this is not just my leadership theory. 
However, I believe leadership science will prove this. I believe this is written in Scripture, and I want to show you that today. And because you're very smart people, we're going to take a passage, and we're going to look at this passage in, in Ephesians. And I want you to see how this comes into play. It's in Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. And in church in Ephesus, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2, chapter 11. Um, here, we're going to see how Paul recognizes this. And I want to show you what Paul reminds the church in Ephesus. And the neat thing about the letter of the church in Ephesus is it was written to Ephesus. But I believe through the preservation of of history and what God has done to inspire this letter to the church in Ephesus, it wasn't just to Ephesus, it was for the church at large. And that's why God has preserved it and that's why it's part of our scripture today. So while it was to them, it's for us too as well. And in this, he defines the mission that drives the vision God has given the church and God has for the church. And you will see how it shapes and directs the behaviors and the culture that we should experience in the church. So let's start in chapter 2, verse 11. He says, therefore, so you got it in your notes, it's up on the screen. Therefore, remember. Now, that word therefore is there for a reason. And we're going to see that here in a second. I'm going to tell you what that is here in a second. We're going to come back to it. I just don't want you to forget that that's what therefore means. It's there for a reason. So therefore, remember, he says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. So if you just had no clue what circumcision is and how it happens, that's how it's done. Um, sorry, that was... Remember, he says, let's go on. Remember that at that time, and this is the important part, at that time, You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. So here Paul reminds the church in Ephesus who they were. Who were you? Well, you were without hope because you were separated from Jesus Christ. You were not citizens of this this kingdom of God and therefore you were not partakers. You did not receive in the promise that was given through the covenants. You cannot be recipients of the covenant with God. That's who you were. So why does Paul remind them of who they were? So he can elevate what Jesus has done. And that's what he does in verse 13. He goes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, look at this, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near where? Brought near to Christ. You're brought near to God by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. And then he's building it up to this right here. And you need to understand this. I mean, maybe you need to underline. I've got this underlined, highlighted, all the different ways that I can make this stand out in my scripture. Because this is important. His purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new Humanity. Underline that in your notes. I, I encourage you to put this underline in your Bible, Scripture, highlight in your app. To create in Himself one new humanity. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to get death their hostility. So here Paul's reminding them that they were hopeless without Christ so he can identify who they are now because of what Christ Jesus has done. And what Christ has done is this. This is that Christ Jesus has done something through his suffering. Jesus has brought the Jews who were the one nation that that God had said, I'm going to reveal myself to the whole world through the nation of Israel. 
and this other group of people, which is the Gentiles, which is everybody that's not a Jew. He goes, we're going to make one new humanity out of the two. We're going to bring everybody together. And Christ is going to do this through his suffering. I'm going, God is going to come into the world and he's going to suffer. And here's the unique thing that Paul shows in this. Paul shows us Jesus' identity that drives Jesus' mission, that drives his vision, and, and then what it is. So see, Jesus' identity, identity is, is that he is God. And what did he do? He came into this world, and, and in his flesh and through his suffering, it, he, his mission was to create himself, in himself one new humanity. This is what he came to do. Jesus came to make a way for all the different people of the world to be together as one family. He came so all the divided people of the world, there'd be no hostility between all the divided, but he would bring everybody together into one new humanity, one new family, one holy nation. Jesus came to create a new family. This is God's family. This is the church, the family of God, the body of Christ, the new temple. All of this is language he's going to use in this this letter to them. This is why God would choose Israel so Jesus could come into our world to save the world from their sins when they trust in Jesus as Savior and follow Him as Lord. Jesus had a clear picture, a clear vision of what should be, and He had a conviction that it should be. And He had a strategy by which to do it. And here's a strategy. He came, verse 17, and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him... We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. This is important. Through Him, through Jesus, we both, that, that both is everyone in the world. Those who are part of the Jews and those who are part of the Gentiles. That's, nobody's excluded from this. Everyone has access to the Father by one Spirit. His mission, Jesus' mission was to restore access to God the Father because sin had destroyed access to God. Therefore, Jesus' mission was to come into this world with the purpose to restore that access. He was to give all people access to God because only Jesus is the only way to give access to God. His identity led to Jesus' activity. And then, see, this is why God's love displayed this way. God love, God is love, so God loves Love was demonstrated in Christ Jesus' sacrifice to give all people access to a relationship with the life-giving God. His identity identified his activity, and it was seen and demonstrated in his activity. Jesus willfully gave up his life to give life to the world. And after showing us Jesus' identity, clearly showing us his mission and his vision and even Jesus' strategy of what he did, Paul focuses on the church identity. In verse 19, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So you aren't just little families and cliques and, 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 and clans of your own. You're not just all Ephesus. You're not just this hodgepodge of humanity coming together and you're living in one city and you're under the, 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 the Roman emperor. You're no longer that. You're citizens of one house. You're a member of Christ's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together. So you're also a building. 
joined together and rises up to become, look at this, he identifies us as a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. This is who you are. We are the church, the citizen citizens of God's holy nation. We are part of his holy household. We no longer are foreigners and strangers to one another. Together, we are the holy house of God. We are the family of God that is unlike any other family. And Paul writes to this church in Ephesus to remember who they are. And it's been preserved so we can remember who we are. See, we are God's family united together by the blood of Jesus Christ to become a new humanity. This is who you are. This is who we are. We are God's new humanity. And who we are leads to what we do. Now, right before this passage, I told you that there was something important that he would write there for. And and you can look this up in in Ephesians 2.10. He says, you are Christ's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. See, your identity leads to your activity. You're God's masterpiece. And it leads to this good thing that God wants to do. Your new humanity then is a representation. It's a representation to the world of God's work and how life is supposed to be lived. This is the purpose of the church. We're to be the beacon to the world of what life is supposed to look like, what life in the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, who you are because of your identity. It determines what you do. It leads to your activity. And when we see ourselves as God's masterpiece, we will share in God's work. And that creates a life-giving culture. And next, Paul writes about his personal identity and writes how it's defined his mission. And you need to know that Paul's writing this in prison. And his circumstances... He, identify, he doesn't say, hey, my circumstances are my identity. No, he says, Christ's work for me is where I get my identity. And just listen to this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm not the prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. For the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about this about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly, in, this, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in other generations as now as it's been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery... You want to know what Scripture's all about? You want to know the, the purpose of this world is all about? Paul's like, this is it. This mystery is that through the gospel or the good news of Jesus, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Paul's new identity, he says, leads to this new mission that now to become like Jesus. Hey, I'm, I'm a servant just like Jesus. I am a servant of Jesus. What did Jesus came to do? came to serve. And I'm here to tell the world, because this was what Jesus' mission was, to tell the world about what God has done and what he's doing in his kingdom. Paul was now sharing this secret, this mystery of, of the world with the Ephesians, that God is creating one new humanity, one body, the church. And that church is to share in the promise of life 
that Jesus came to bring. Now Paul talks about becoming a servant like Jesus was a servant. Verse 7, he says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Hear this humility? I am less than the least of all these Lord's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. See, Paul's activity was driven by his identity. Now Paul informs the church of what God's mission is for the church. And we need to understand this. So in verse 10, he says God's intent, his intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom, which means all the elements of wisdom of God, all the variety of God's wisdom, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And look at this verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for, which are your glory. So Paul reminds his readers that his suffering is not his identity. He knows who he is because of Christ's sufferings, but he knows that what he endures in his sufferings will bring glory to God and it will be the glory of the church. He knows who he is in Christ. And he knows that he can endure his present suffering because for their sake, the sake of the people, because that's what Christ Jesus did for him. See, church, your suffering is not your identity. Your suffering is, your identity is not in your suffering. And your, your identity is not what you endure in life. But your identity is in what Christ has endured for you. And when the church lives out of this truth, when the church lives united in knowing who we are, and we live in the truth of our new humanity, the church then reveals the variety of God's wisdom to the world. It is this truth that then tears down the strongholds and displays the, the, the power of God to the world. It's when we live in this truth that we display the power of God to the world. And when you and I live in this truth, we display the eternal purpose of God to the world that does not know God. See, the church represents Jesus to the world. This is our identity that leads to this activity that we are to represent Jesus to the world. Identity defines the mission. The mystery that Paul is pointing to is what the gospel of Jesus is all about. That through faith in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have access and anyone can have access to God in his life. This is God's mission and this is ours. See, God's mission for the world is to, God's mission is for the world to know that the gospel of Jesus, to know the gospel that Jesus is Lord and that through faith in Jesus as our Savior, We have freedom from the curse of sin. This is the truth that will destroy Satan's work and the enemy's work and tear down the strongholds in this world. That through faith in Christ alone, we have freedom that that we all need. The freedom from the curse of sin and have access to God, the Father of life. 
Now we join in this mission. We join God in his work and what he's already doing and his mission and his purpose for us. And we share the mystery of the good news with all other people because of God's mission is that all people have access to his life and that all people then can become a part of this new humanity that we are representations of. Identity defines mission. Mission drives the vision. And Paul breaks down the vision in the prayer that he shares. Listen to this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, and this is the vision for the church, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, the picture of what could be was Paul's conviction that this should be. Every believer should know that they can experience the love of Christ and be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Understanding God's love for them and experiencing God to the full measure. What would it look like for you to experience God to the full measure? That's the vision that God has for you. And then he goes on to say, now to him, now to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Other words, so be it. Let it be. Church, we are to glorify God by glorifying Jesus and living according to the Holy Spirit's power. We need to stop trying to live by our own power and surrender to what the power of the Holy Spirit is alive in us and we need to leverage God's power not for our own mission and purpose but we need to leverage God's power for His work and for His mission for us. See, God's vision is that His family is filled with His Spirit to experience the fullness of His love and to live in His power to glorify Him. Identity defines mission. Mission drives vision. Vision directs behavior. And that's what Paul clearly shows next in his letter to Ephesus. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Can I read that again? As a prisoner for the Lord, this is who you are. Your identity now leads to your activity. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's that look like? Be completely humble. Not partially humble. Not sometimes humble. Be completely humble. And gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. You know what Paul's saying? Live from your new humanity. Don't live from your old humanity. Live from the calling you've received to become a part of God's kingdom. Live from this new humanity created in Christ Jesus. Don't identify with your old life because your old life is not humble. Your old life is not gentle. Your old life is not patient. We saw that on the road yesterday. Your old life. Sorry. 
Maybe that's self-indicting. <laughs> Your old life is not bearing with one another in love. The new humanity, this is the picture. This is the activity. This is the shared activity that we have together. I want to ask you, do you live like you belong? Do you live like you have worthy, is your life worthy of the calling you received? That's a hard question to ask. See, God has called us to be his family and we are to live like we belong to him. That looks like humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. This is what the new humanity looks like that says we identify with him and his work and we belong to him. This is the shared behavior in this new community that we are now part of God's household. And this is why it's so important. So do you live like you belong to Christ Jesus? Or do you live like you belong to you and do whatever you want to do? Do you live like you belong to a political party? Do you live like you belong to a certain group or organization? Or you do identify with that? This is why your identity is so important. Because we belong to Christ. We are His family. We are His new humanity. And we represent Him to the world. Identity defines mission. Mission drives vision. Vision directs our behavior, and behavior creates culture. We need to live like we belong to Jesus. Look what he says here. Make every effort. Make every effort. Every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit to the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is the culture of a life-giving church united together on his mission. See, God wants there to be a culture of unity because of the bond of peace we have together. We may be different and come from many different experiences, different cultures, ethnicities, economic places, but there is one thing. When they see you and they see you, they see me, they should see Jesus. And together, when they see us together, we become a representation of the picture of what could be in the world that Jesus came to establish. And when we come together with our differences, we are humble with one another and humility with one another. We're gentle towards one another. We're patient with one another. We're bearing with one another in love. Because of the bond of peace that we share together because of God's work to bring all of us with all of our differences in to his kingdom family. That's the moment we glorify God. That's the moment that the world sees the power of God at work. And in this series, we're going to remind each other of our identity. And we're going to let this drive our mission. And then it's going to direct our vision. And then we're going to see it shape the behaviors of which we do together. And this is the series' big idea that we're going to be talking about. We are God's family on mission together. Loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus to build up Christ-centered families by wrapping God's family around your family. This is our identity. We are God's family.
And our mission is loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus. This is what a disciple is, and this is what a disciple does. And this is what he's creating a family of people who are devoted to him, loving him, becoming like him, and they're going to share him. And we are going to build up Christ centered families. We're going to take those of you who are single, but you have, you're connected in a household. There are people in your connection, in your community. Our desire is to raise you up and build you up to be a Christ centered follower of Jesus. We're going to raise you up to be a Christ-centered disciple. We want to raise up Christ-centered parents, Christ-centered kids, Christ-centered families. And we're going to, the way we're going to do it is we're going to wrap God's family around each other and around all others by loving one another the way God through Christ has loved us. That is how we are going to... That's going to be the shared behavior that we do. See, by loving one another the way Jesus has loved us, we will show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life is meant to be. This is what Jesus said. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By this one activity, people will know your identity. That you love one another. That you wrap your family. And we wrap ourselves around those who are hurting. And in humility, and gentleness, and in, in, in patience, we come bearing with one another. And we do this not just with each other. We look out and we do this with all others. Because we represent Jesus and his mission and his vision for the world. We represent him to the world. And we represent what it means and what it looks like to live in his family. There's no better picture of this to remind us than communion. And that's what we're going to do together right now. See, communion is a reminder of who we are because of what Christ has done. And communion also reminds us of what we are to do. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you're willing to join us on this mission, if you're willing to be a part of the family of Christ, or you're identified with the family of Christ, this is for you. I want to ask you to step out in a second, come forward, grab the elements, the, the cup and the, the, the cracker, and we're going to return to the right. I want you to hold on to them, and we're going to take these together, and we're going to do something special together. So will you exit out your left? Our hosts are down here. They have the elements, and will you return to your seat and hold on to them? We'll take them together. Will you come?